0: We all know how to treat sleepiness with caffeine. It is the most commonly used psychoactive substance in the world. But do you know the mechanism of action of caffeine? What other choices are there? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host. And with me today is psychiatrist, Dr. Chris Bojrab. In addition to his outpatient practice and administrative responsibilities as president of Indiana Health Group, he has also served as the medical director for the Dr. Robert and Lillian Custer Center, an internationally known center specializing in the treatment of gambling addictions. Welcome to ReachMD.
1: Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be with you today.
0: Chris, most of us use caffeine on a daily basis, but how does it really work?
1: It's a great question. It's something that we take for granted. It's such part and parcel of our daily lives. Caffeine is an interesting substance. It does have some some sympathomimetic effects, but its primary effect has to do with adenosine. As we recall back to basic physiology, the energy molecule that operates all of our cells is ATP. As ATP is cleaved into ADP, we free up phosphate and an adenosine molecule. Adenosine, we believe to be one of the primary substances of fatigue. So, for most of us, when we've had a good night's sleep, we've recharged our ATP batteries, we've turned ADP back into ATP, and we've built up this, these batteries floating throughout our body to power ourselves during the day. As we start to make use of that stored-up battery power, we see rising levels of adenosine across the day, and we think this is what contributes to that increasing degree of fatigue that we experience over the course of a normal day, adenosine in both a way that will make it easier to fall asleep as well as harder to stay awake. Adenosine does this by modulating the flow of sodium ions. Think back to basic cellular physiology. As we pour positively charged sodium ions into a cell, we depolarize it. We bring it closer to its action potential, making it easier to fire. Adenosine slows down that flow of positive charged ions. So it sort of stabilizes the cell membrane and has a quieting effect on the cell. Caffeine simply helps to block the adenosine receptor. It, It displaces adenosine and it makes sodium have an easier entry into the cell, bringing it closer to its action potential, making it easier to fire. So it's somewhat complex pharmacology, but it's a very powerful, potent substance. Most people assume that since caffeine is such a routine part of our day that it really is not that powerful of a substance or nothing that we need to take uh, that much notice of, but it couldn't be further from the truth. Actually, you can make a great argument for the fact that if caffeine were to just be discovered today, and if you were to look at the propensity for self-administration in both animal and human models, if you were to look at the cardiovascular effects of the substance, if it were to come before the FDA today, it would probably
0: be a scheduled substance. Wow. It sounds like there is significant downside to using caffeine to stay awake.
1: Absolutely. Because of this very general stimulant-like effect, uh, we certainly see increases in blood pressure, in heart rate. People develop a tolerance to caffeine and therefore they need to increase the amount that they use. Um, Caffeine contributes significantly to insomnia. The half-life of caffeine in the average person is about four to six hours. If you happen to be somebody who enjoys eating a food that can block the metabolism of caffeine, such as grapefruit juice, for example, or uh, cruciferous vegetables, for example, you can really prolong the half-life of caffeine from four to six hours out to perhaps 16, 17 hours. So patients that are using caffeine, even patients that say, well, I never drink coffee after dinner, you still have a significant amount of caffeine in your system that you may be fighting against in trying to fall
0: asleep naturally. So we may see Starbucks come out with a new broccoli grapefruit juice caffeine coffee, huh?
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Now, aside from caffeine, what other options do we have to treat excessive sleepiness?
1: You know, Traditionally, Leslie, the substances that have been used to try to help with excessive daytime sleepiness have primarily been the stimulant medicines. And so this has been either amphetamine-based medicines or methylphenidate-based medicines. And of course, they carry a number of Potential concerns with them, including uh, the addictive potential of these medicines, the fact that these medicines are cardiovascularly active and can increase blood pressure, uh, increase pulse, increase vulnerability to arrhythmias. They also have behavioral consequences in terms of increasing levels of anger, agitation, anxiety. They can cause unwanted weight loss or wanted weight loss for that matter. They can also cause difficulties, certainly with insomnia, and as I mentioned, worsening certain types of anxiety syndrome. So we've tried to use those sparingly. We've been aware of the, the costs associated with using those medicines. We do have now some newer medications on the market specifically geared towards the treatment of excessive sleepiness. The two newer medicines on the market are sodium oxabate, which is basically a salt of gamma-hydroxybutyrate, this is sold under the name of Zyrum, and this is marketed for the treatment of narcolepsy and cataplexy, specifically the treatment of excessive daytime somnolence associated with narcolepsy as well as cataplexy. Our other medicine on the market uh, that's frequently used to target this, these types of symptoms is modafinil, sold under the name in this country of provigil. And this is a, a unique wakefulness-enhancing medicine that's FDA-approved to treat excessive daytime somnolence in the setting of narcolepsy, obstructive sleep apnea, hypopnea syndrome, and shift work sleep disorder. This is a differently acting medicine. The mechanism of action is somewhat unclear, although there is some good evidence to suggest that one of the things that this medicine does is to specifically stimulate the wake-promoting center in the hypothalamus and perhaps ultimately mediate some of its wakefulness-enhancing properties through the histamine system, so really a very novel type of approach that gets away from the typical stimulant medicine, which focuses, you know, much more on dopamine and norepinephrine activity.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Chris Bojrab. We are discussing how to treat sleepiness. So, Chris, it sounds like we have maybe three kind of categories of medicines for this, the stimulants, be they prescription or caffeine, something like sodium oxabate, which is completely different, and then modafinil, which is completely different as well. Exactly. Now, how do you choose between these meds? Where do you start with a typical patient?
1: I think it's Depends on what else is going on with the patient and what other things you may be trying to avoid. We certainly like to try to practice evidence based medicine. So, certainly trying to start within the FDA approved guidelines makes sense. So, our stimulant medicines are frequently used even though they're not specifically FDA approved for most impairments that lead to excessive daytime somnolence. If a patient is evaluated and they're felt to have narcolepsy, Both a medicine like sodium oxabate or a medicine like modafinil are reasonable choices. And in fact, it can be used in combination. Partly, it depends on the type of symptoms that the patient's experiencing in terms of where we might want to start. Uh, Sodium oxabate has a great track record as being helpful, not only in narcolepsy, but also in those patients uh, who suffer from cataplexy as well. So certainly, if I have a patient with cataplexy and narcolepsy, I will usually start with sodium oxabate. Sodium oxabate does require more of a titration schedule, and it can be somewhat of a logistically difficult medicine to use as it's available uh, right now just in a liquid form uh, that you mix up this very salty-tasting solution. And incidentally, uh, the linkage of this medicine to salt is not just part and parcel of the molecule. That was done as a safety measure. As you may know, sodium oxabate was one of the commonly used so-called state rape drugs because it can induce not only somnolence, but a very dense amnesia. So the concern is that people would misuse this substance as has been done on the street, flipping it into somebody's drink and then taking advantage of them when they're of a diminished capacity. And then people would wake up and not have a recollection of what had occurred. So to try to minimize that, because sodium oxabate itself is colorless, tasteless, and odorless, they put it into this very, very strong salt solution, so it would be hard to mask that flavor and hard for people to misuse it or misdirect it. But for those patients that are taking the medicine, they they mix up this concentration with some water into two equal amounts into two small medicine cups with caps, and they take one dose when they go to bed and another dose perhaps two to four hours later. So logistically, it can be sort of a different type of experience for patients taking a medicine that way, but it's been a remarkably effective medicine for patients with narcolepsy and cataplexy.
0: So let me get this straight. So you take it at bedtime, but then you have to wake up in the middle of the night and take it again?
1: Exactly. Patients are instructed to take their first dose at bedtime and to take it immediately before going to bed because this substance does kick in very, very quickly, and I've had patients in my practice who have used it who did not heed that advice, who literally fell asleep in the hallway on the way walking to their bedroom. Hmm. We instruct patients, therefore, to prepare the medicine ahead of time and to take it when they're actually sitting on the side of their bed to drink down the first dose of the medicine and then crawl under the covers and then to set their alarm clock for two to four hours later. Interestingly, because of the very, very short half-life of the medicine, a number of patients, probably the majority of patients, will wake up on their own two to four hours later The mechanism of action of this medicine is still controversial. It's it's believed to work through the GABA system, which is a similar system that our other sleep medicines work on, but it obviously works in a different way. One of the interesting things that we see with sodium oxabate is an expansion of slow-wave sleep. As I mentioned before, slow-wave sleep or stage 3, stage 4 sleep is critically important to a number of body processes. And typically, we're interested in finding sleep medicines that don't impair slow-wave sleep. In sodium oxybate, we have a medicine that actually has good data to suggest that it can dramatically increase the amount of slow-wave sleep that people get. So one of the theories as to the mechanism of action has to do with the fact that we're expanding slow-wave sleep, and that might be responsible for some of the benefits that patients see with this medicine the next day in terms of improvements in their energy and and a decrease in the amount of excessive daytime somnolence that they experience.
0: Now, given that sedation, do you worry about things like respiratory depression with sodium oxibate?
1: You do. There have been studies looking at safety with this medicine, and there have been patient deaths associated with this medicine, or perhaps I misspeak. I'm not sure about patient deaths, but certainly when the medicine has been misused, when it's been combined with alcohol or other CNS stimulants, Um, When it's been misused recreationally as a club drug, there have been patient deaths associated with it. So it does require an exercise in caution, uh, and we would want to be very cautious about using it with patients that were subject to respiratory depression. So uh, it may not be an appropriate medicine for those patients with severe sleep apnea comorbidly or for those patients that had significant chronic obstructive pulmonary disease.
0: Okay, so clearly an option, but a little out of the usual for most of us. And certainly my experience with physicians has been some reluctance to use sodium oxabate because of these challenges.
1: Yeah, it can be a challenging medicine to use. Also, it's all dispensed out of one centralized pharmacy in the country. So typically, if you write it on a prescription that you fax into this centralized pharmacy, and they will dispense it to the patient and send it out. Now, I will say my experience with the pharmacy has been quite positive. They do an excellent job of educating patients as to how to safely and appropriately use the medicine. So just to put a plug in there, while this can be somewhat of an esoteric medicine, uh, it can be a very, very powerful, very, very useful medicine for patients.
0: I'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Chris Bojrab. We have been discussing treatments for excessive sleepiness. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157 the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.